Amen. Well, so glad you're here this morning. For those of you joining us online, we are glad that you're with us as well. Just a minute, I want to ask you guys to consider a question, and I want you to come up with some answers. If you're online, you can even comment in the chat section um, and, and kind of give some answers. But this morning, we're going to talk about joy. And so the question I want you to consider is what brings you joy? What brings you joy? Maybe it is a hot cup of coffee in the morning when you get up. Uh, maybe it's seeing your children play quietly. Uh, <laughs> maybe for you, it's, it's some hobby or something. I, I was thinking about it as I was sitting down here on the front row worshiping this morning. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching our musicians play this morning because as, as somebody who, who loves music and has gotten to do music over the years, there's, there's this joy that comes with playing. And I was watching Johnny on Reckless Love get after it on the drums. And there is a worship that happens. Some, you know, if you, if you don't play an instrument, it's, it's hard to understand. And sometimes you just think, what are they doing? Look, I mean, there's just a joy that comes with being able to play skillfully unto the Lord, and it's your worship. And, man, Johnny and Ross and Noel and Tommy, and, man, we have incredible musicians. And I, I was filled with joy watching them worship and be filled with joy as they played unto the Lord this morning. It, I just kind of get this little chuckle, you know, like, <laughs> it's just fun. But what fills you with joy? Maybe there's certain music that you love, and when you hear it, you're just filled with joy. Maybe it's watching kitten videos on YouTube, or maybe it's watching puppy videos on YouTube. If you're not a cat person, I am not a cat person, but I was trying to be, you know, equal opportunity, you know. Maybe it's watching little kid videos when kids say funny things or, you know. What fills you with joy? What fills you with joy? This morning, we are going to look at what it is that fills Christ with joy. We've been in this series called The Heart of Christ. We started by looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we've been looking at the heart of Christ and Jesus by his own testimony tells us that his heart is gentle and lowly and we talked about what that means I've been meaning to do this for the last couple of weeks, but there's a book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland, uh, and it's been really helpful as I've studied and prepared uh, for this, and it, it may be something you would want to check out, so you could look it up on Amazon or go to the bookstore um, and check that out, but it's, it's been really helpful in, in this study of the heart of Christ, but Jesus tells us that his heart is gentle and lowly. The reason we're studying the heart of Christ is because the heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. The heart reveals the deepest reality of who someone is. What's in their heart is, is who they really are. So we talked about people who, you know, maybe they're rough on the outside, but they have a good heart. And, and we talked about all these ideas about what, what's on the inside and how it comes out. And Jesus tells us that he's gentle and lowly. In heart, and this morning, as we look at joy, 
we're going to see that what someone rejoices in or finds joy in, again, reveals a, a level of who they are. The things that bring us joy reveal the priorities of our heart. We're going to see Jesus' priorities as we see what it is that he rejoices in. Last week, we looked at the compassion of Christ. That is his heart in action. And if you weren't with us for the last couple of Sundays, uh, you can go to orlandobaptist.com and you can watch past sermons and, and kind of catch up um, as we're kind of building layer upon layer as we study the heart of Christ. So today we're going to look at the joy of Christ. We're going to see what it is that he rejoices in. And then we are going to respond to his joy this morning. So before we get into the message, let me pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what we have already celebrated this morning, your incredible love. First Corinthians tells us that this love that you poured out is foolishness to the world. Doesn't make sense that the God of the universe would humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And yet that's what you did for us, Jesus. And so we celebrate and we respond this morning. Lord, help us to come to you. Help us to respond to you. Help us to look to you, Jesus. Lord, for those who are here this morning and they don't want to be here, I pray that you would speak to them right where they're at. For those who are here this morning and desperately need to hear from you and they know it, I pray that you would speak to them right where they're at. For those who are here just because that's what they do on Sundays, I pray that you would speak to them right where they're at. For those who don't know you as Savior this morning, and maybe they don't know that they need a Savior, I pray that you would speak to them right where they're at. Lord, do the work that only you could do. Holy Spirit, move in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Well, the joy of Christ. We're going to look at one verse in Hebrews chapter 12, then we're going to look in Luke chapter 15 at several verses. We're going to see if we can come to understand more deeply the joy of Christ because what a person finds joy in reveals the priorities of their heart. And as we deeper understand Christ's heart, we deeper understand who he is. So I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to ask you to read it out loud with me, and why don't you stand up really quick and read it? All right, here we go. You can read it off the screen. One, two, three. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, thank you for stretching your legs there. You can have a seat. This verse tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him, for the joy that lay before him, endured the cross, despising its shame. 
this verse is telling us that there was some joy that was in front of Jesus that helped him to endure the cross, that helped him to endure the shame and the agony and the pain and the rejection of the cross. There was some joy that was laid out before him that, that, that strengthened him, that compelled him to endure the misery of the cross. We all understand that the cross was the most humiliating form of punishment in the Roman world. People were stripped and humiliated and nailed on a cross. They were mocked by the people on the ground as they watched them suffer in agony and breathe their last breath. Let me tell you about myself just really quick. When I'm sick, I don't want anybody near me. I don't want help. I don't want somebody saying, are you feeling okay? Just leave me alone. Let me go in a dark room and pull the blanket over my head until I feel better. I, you know, I, I don't want to, it, it doesn't help. Your sympathy, it's not doing anything for me. I don't want it. But imagine the humiliation of Jesus Christ in his darkest, weakest, most humiliating moment. And there are people watching, staring, pointing, mocking. There may be some sympathy in the crowd, but that sympathy does very little for a man who has been beaten nearly to death and is breathing these ragged, desperate breaths. And people are just watching like it's entertainment. And yet somehow, Jesus Christ endured the cross. Scripture tells us that he could have called a legion of angels and they could have taken him off the cross. Jesus told, uh, he, he told Pilate, when Pilate was sentencing him to death, he says, look, the only reason this is happening is because I am laying my life down willingly. Nobody can take my life from me. So what was it that caused Jesus to endure the cross? It wasn't the nails in his hands. They couldn't keep him there if he didn't want to stay. There was some joy that lay before him that caused him to endure the cross. So what is this joy? <laughs> Maybe in your life, there are hard things that you have done for the reward that comes at the end, the joy that comes in the end. Maybe some of you work out, and you don't like to work out, but you like to get on the scale and see that you've lost a little bit of weight. Or you work out because you're trying to bench press 600 pounds, right, Ray? And you keep doing it because there's this goal set in front of you that you are enduring the pain for. You know, maybe you've got a high school reunion coming up and, and you want to look good. Whatever it is, right? There is this thing that we endure to get to the reward, to the joy, to the celebration at the end. And for Jesus, he endured the cross for some joy that lay before him. But what is the joy? I think scripture makes it really clear in Luke chapter 15. And so we're going to look here. There's three stories, and Arthur already alluded to a couple of them as we sang this morning. And I think that's good. 
The Spirit uses all of those things to help us to focus and, and be reminded what it is that God wants to show us today. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. And the context of this is that Jesus is at a dinner. And there's some religious people there. There's some Pharisees and some law keepers and law readers there. And there's some unrighteous, sinful people there as well. And here's what it tells us in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It starts off by saying, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the law writers, were complaining, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This idea that Jesus eats with sinners was especially scandalous because in this culture, it was a hospitality culture. And if you sat to eat with somebody, to break bread with somebody, that, was, that meant you accepted them. That meant, that meant it was a symbol of relationship and friendship. It, it meant something deeper. And they said, not only does he listen to them and allow them near, he even eats with them. So, Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. I love that, that verse. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, Jesus says, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. In this passage, three times we see joy. We see the shepherd who goes after the one lost sheep, and it says when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I can, it's, it's joyfully, right? It's not frustrated. It's not begrudgingly. He doesn't, oh, there you are, you. We got the kids in the service today, so I'll, we, no, no, there you are, you crazy sheep. You knucklehead, I think that's the word Arthur used. That's a good one. Get over here and yanks it up. We just got a puppy. It's cute. Yeah, well, it is cute until it goes to the bathroom in the house and they're like, oh, get over here. Says that he joyfully placed it on his shoulders. I think we hear this story a lot of times and we think the shepherd is like, oh, get, you crazy sheep. Get over here and drags it. <laughs> drags it all the way back to the sheep pen. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders joyfully, right? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. I mean, to me, that, that sounds like he's happy, rejoicing. Maybe he's even talking to the sheep on the way back to the sheep pen. Hey, buddy, you can't do that anymore, okay? Don't do, you could have got hurt. There's joy, and he comes back and he calls all the people in the town and says, come rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, this isn't just about a shepherd and some sheep and a town. This is about heaven because he says, there is more joy in heaven when one lost person returns than 99 who don't need saving. There's joy in heaven. I think as we consider what is the joy that kept Jesus on the cross, I can't help but think of these parables where Jesus very clearly tells us about the joy of heaven and finding the one who is lost. This book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, uses an illustration about a doctor who goes into the depths of the jungle where there is a disease that is raging and wiping out the population. And he has found a cure for this disease. And he's independently wealthy, and so he doesn't need any money or any help. And he pulls his resources together and, and provides uh, all, all of the necessary antibiotics that he's going to take down to keep this group of people from dying. And he, and he pays for his trip, and he goes down to the deepest part of this jungle, and he finds these people, and he says, I have a cure for your disease. And not only that, he learns their language so he can communicate with them. And they're like, no thanks, we want to heal on our own terms. There's this leaf we got, and we think that if we eat that, that we'll be okay. Well, it hasn't worked because you keep dying. And he stays, and he stays, and he stays, and says, I've got the cure, come to me. And finally, a few brave young people come to him, and he administers the antibiotic, and, and they get better. And what does his heart feel? Joy. It's the reason he came. He doesn't say, finally, finally, I knew you would eventually come over here. No, he rejoices. He rejoices because it's the reason he came. He doesn't say, Ugh, you sickos. <laughs> The shepherd rejoices when he finds the lost sheep, joyfully puts it on his shoulders. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Jesus continues in Luke chapter 15, verse 8, and he says, There's a woman who has ten silver coins, and if she loses one coin, doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents again. The lost coin. Rejoice with me, I found it. Jesus goes on and says, it's not just about a coin, guys. This is about a sinner who turns to God. And there is joy in heaven over every single one of them. We see this picture of the joy of heaven. And again, we get another glimpse into the joy that kept Jesus on the cross, the joy that was laid before him was about the lost being found. And we read this story about the sheep that got lost because it was dumb and didn't know any better. And we read the story about the coin that was lost and didn't even know it was lost because it was a coin. 
And we think, okay, yeah, I'm okay with those kind of people. You know, they didn't know about Jesus, but, you know, so we're okay with them. And, and the guy that didn't know any better and he got lost, then okay, we're okay with him. But what about the person who knows better and gets lost anyway? <laughs> right? What, what about the person who knows better and still turns his back on the Savior? Every one of these stories kind of has a different dimension to lostness. So Jesus spends the most time on this last story because it's the most lost story of the three. Verse 11, Jesus said, a man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. I remember Bob Caraballo preached a message on the prodigal son maybe a couple summers ago and just talked about the reality of what this meant when the younger son said, give me my inheritance. What he was really saying to his dad is, dad, I wish you were dead. The only thing you're good for to me is the inheritance that I have coming to me. That's the scandal of what this young man said to the father. Give me my inheritance. So the father distributed the assets to him. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had, and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him in to his fields to feed pigs. Again, as Jesus is telling this story to these Jewish people, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, they would have been shocked by this story because pigs were one of the most unclean animals that there could have been. In kosher dietary eating law, you did not eat pork or ham or bacon or any of that, all the good stuff, because <laughs> it was unclean. It was unclean, and here's this little Jewish boy feeding pigs. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Not only that, he wanted to eat what the pigs had in verse 16, but no one would give him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger, so I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he had rehearsed this little speech. He's going to go give his father. And in verse 20 it says, He got up and he went to his father, but while the son was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Last week we looked at the compassion of Christ his heart in action. And here we see compassion from the father when he saw his son from a long way off. He was moved. His heart was moved with compassion and it says that he ran. Again, culturally, this father running to meet his son would have been scandalous. Grown men didn't run. You ever see anybody cross the street and cars are coming they're just like, just slow walking. What you gonna do? 
The father wasn't supposed to run. He wasn't even supposed to walk. Maybe a slow walk. What's up, kid? (laughs) You coming back? No. But this father, it says he ran. He ran. That was not dignified. That was ridiculous to these people. They said, what? The father ran? They probably would have called it reckless. But he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. Meanwhile, the son has got his little rehearsed speech and he's like, and he's trying to make a defense. But his dad didn't wait for him to, to, to make any excuses, to explain things. He just wrapped him up. And as the son is still trying to talk, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, go get the fat calf. That one we've been saving for the special event. Go get that one and get a robe and get a ring and come put it on my son because he was lost and now he's found. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. And they throw this party. And the people who are listening to Jesus' story are going, what is going on? So Jesus wants to help them identify exactly what's going on in their heart. So he begins to describe another character. It's the older brother. He says, now there's this older son in verse 25. He was in the field and he came near the house and he heard music and dancing. And so he summoned one of the servants questioning what these things meant. And the servant said, your brother's here. And your father slaughtered the fatted calf and because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to the father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, right? Sometimes I I say to my wife, Brooke, your son is blowing it over here. You know what I mean? (laughs) Actually, usually she says that to me because they're doing something that they learned from me. But anyway. But when this son of yours came who has devoured all your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, the father said to him, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Again, the father says, we had to celebrate and rejoice. And again, we see another dimension of the joy of Christ. The joy that compelled him to endure the agony of the cross. And what we see from these three parables is that the joy of Christ is found in the lost being found. The lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. It's the reason that Jesus came, said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. And the joy of Christ 
is fulfilled when people turn to him in faith. Even the prodigal son, even those of us who know better, who mess up and we think, oh, he doesn't want me anymore. I could never go back. Even then, when we turn to him, he rejoices. And I love the father's words. He said, we had to rejoice. We had to. We, we had to rejoice. This is, this is the point. It's incredible that our joy in being found and Jesus' joy in finding us rise and fall together. Now, let me be clear. Jesus does not need us. He, he's not like a codependent that needs us to feel good about himself. He's the God of the universe. He needs nothing. But yet in his humanity, Jesus so identified with us who are sinners. But yet in laying aside the glory of heaven, we're told about in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus Christ so identified with our brokenness and fallenness. The book of Hebrews where we find Hebrews 12 chapter 2, for the first 10 chapters, we're told about this great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has compassion on us, who sees our need, who feels our need, who understands our need, who gives us access. He so identifies with us that in our lostness, when we turn to him, he is filled with joy. He has all that he needs. but chooses to rejoice in us. It's an incredible thought, church. The joy of Christ. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him lost and broken people who would turn to him. For the joy of seeing those lost ones turn to him, he endured the agony of the cross, the rejection of the cross, because the worst part of the cross for Jesus was not the humiliation, was not the pain, it was this, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you Forsaken me. He was forsaken by the Father on the cross. And in those dark moments, he purchased our salvation. And we can come to him 
When we were his foe, we sang his enemy. He still fought for us. When we were fighting against him, he was fighting for us. Ugh. And so when we turn to him, his heart is filled with joy and our heart is filled with joy. And there is this joy that happens when, when, when someone turns to Christ and his joy becomes our joy. And heaven rejoices. I want you to see this morning that salvation, that, that putting your faith in Jesus Christ is, is an exercise of joy. The celebration of heaven. So this morning, I invite you to join in the joy of heaven. I invite you to experience the joy of heaven. Maybe this morning you are like the prodigal son, and you know better, and you keep on blowing it. And this morning, I want you to know that when you turn to Jesus, he rejoices. He doesn't tell you off. He doesn't scold you. He doesn't make you do 300 Hail Marys before you can come back to him. He rejoices. He celebrates. This morning, maybe you're like the coin in this story. You didn't know you were lost. In fact, even as I say that, you're like, what do you mean lost? I'm here. I'm in this building right now. Scripture tells us that all of humanity is born in a spiritual condition of being lost. Well, what are we lost from? Well, we're lost from a relationship with God. Our sin separates us from God, and sin is anything that is rebellion against God. How do we rebel against God? Well, we're prideful. We put ourselves ahead of other people. And that manifests itself in all kinds of ways from stealing and murder to passive-aggressive behavior and everything in between. And it's all sin and it all separates us from God. And as a result, we're lost. So this morning, if you didn't know you were lost, I want you to know you're lost. <laughs> Here's the good news. Jesus came so that you could be found. And this morning, you can turn to him for salvation. Can put your faith in him let me tell you how he achieved our salvation. 
He laid aside the glory of heaven and was born into humanity. He was 100% God and 100% man. He lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he died a perfect and sinless death to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin on the cross. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. Do you really believe all that? I really believe all that. And he conquered death and sin and hell and the grave. And when we put our faith in him, he saves us. This morning, maybe you've never come to a place of putting your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you haven't, Scripture says you're lost. That would explain why you keep trying so hard and you just can't seem to figure it out. Why you keep trying to do the right things and it just seems to never work out because you were never meant to find yourself. We live in a world where we all want to find ourselves. It doesn't work. We need to be found by the Savior. This morning you can turn to him for salvation. So we're going to sing a song. I'm going to let you sit down while they start singing. It's a song that says, come to the altar. This morning, wherever you find yourself, you can come to Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you can come to him today and he rejoices. If you, maybe you trusted in Jesus as Savior, but you find yourself today trying to do it your own way. You've let some things in life keep you from following him. And today you can come to Jesus and he rejoices. Or maybe you're like the older brother in this story. And you're not experiencing joy. You keep doing all the right things and following all the rules, but there's no joy in it for you. And you can't, I thought this, I thought there was supposed to be joy and I'm doing everything right and there's no joy. It's because you're, you're lost too. <laughs> Here's the thing, the younger brother and the older brother, they both had a broken relationship with the father. The older brother was really moral and he did all the right things, but he still didn't have a relationship with the father. The younger brother was really immoral. He did all the wrong things. He was the poster child for what not to do. And as a result, he didn't have a relationship with the father. But neither brother had a relationship with the father. And this morning, maybe you've been doing all the right things, but you've never come to him. See, in the story, remember the older brother didn't come to the father either. It says he stood outside of the party and pouted. And then the father says came to him. 
And the father said, come on, man, <laughs> come to the party. He said, no, I'm just going to stay out here because you never gave me a goat. <laughs> and I've been doing everything right. And some of you this morning, you are not experiencing the joy of your salvation because you are so caught up in your rightness. You are so caught up in your rule-keeping. You are so caught up in the fact that everybody else around you is a loser and you're the only winner that you can't even experience the joy of salvation. So maybe this morning you need to come. With all your good works and throw them down and say, God, I need you. So as we sing this morning, I want you to sit right where you're at, and I want you to pray, and I want you to ask, Lord, is there anything in my life that keeps me from coming to you? And I want you to ask him. And he'll reveal it to you. And this morning, if you need to come and give those things to him, I, I want to ask you to do that. You, I, I want to ask you to physically come. You can uh, just kind of stand around. You can social distance if you want to. I mean, but, but this morning, I, I want to ask you to come. I want you to come to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. I want you to come to the one who has compassion for you. And I want you to come to the one who rejoices when we come to him with all of our brokenness and all of our weariness and enter into his joy this morning. As we sing, I invite you to respond.